Hello, Mike. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Oh, it's going good. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry about the technical difficulty trying to get a hold of you before. <laughs> right on. Hold on a second. Some trouble hearing you here. That's better. All right. I can still hear you. Still there? Yeah, yeah. You can uh, edit all this out. <laughs> just yeah, kidding. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just so paranoid whenever I hear silence on this app. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Uh, this isn't in the podcast, right? Uh, yep, this is just the uh, intro, so we're good. Uh, welcome to my podcast, uh, Trains of Thought. My guest today is uh, Mike Bellows, a very good friend of mine. How you been, Mike? Doing pretty good, man. Things are going well. How are you? Uh, things are going better. I mean, uh, I was in a rough spot for a little bit, you know, at the start of quarantine, but I feel like things are getting better because, like, I'm getting more opportunities to do stuff, so that's helping, you know? Yeah, yeah, I saw that, man. I've uh, been rooting for you. You had a rough year last year. You yeah, had a well, good heart, kid. Thanks, man. Yeah, well, this is, like, it feels good to finally talk to you because I feel like, uh, you're one of my biggest uh, supporters on Facebook, and you know it's uh, it's always nice to finally uh, hear the voice. Although you leave a lot of voice messages. In yeah, Facebook. yeah. I harass <laughs> you with my uh, drug audio notes. I only do that to special people, so <laughs> yeah, I don't mean yeah. special people. <laughs> <I'm> just... <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to get to know more about you is because I I know your memes and your meme content, but. Uh, you're a stand-up comedian, too, or you were doing stand-up, and I was wondering if, like, uh, you know, do you miss, like, live performing? Or, or oh, yeah. Like, yeah, because, like, I know because I make memes and I perform stand-up also. I don't think I could just stop doing stand-up to solely just do the memes because I feel like I still need to hear people oh, yeah. laughing. There's more to it than that. Yeah, it's it's all this life stuff I allowed to get in the way. Uh, but definitely, you know, when you stop performing stand-up, I did it like over a decade, you know, and uh, it definitely leaves a void. I've had one performance in the last two years. It was out here in Hawaii, and uh, I was in a cafeteria with like 200 Hawaiian elders and kids. I was on a little bit of acid. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of traumatizing but fun, I guess. I don't know. I just, you know monotonely like went up there with some vanilla jokes and just kind of soldiered through it you know but uh yeah before I was here I was in Wisconsin for a summer so yeah I just um I haven't been active in stand-up since I left California a couple of years ago definitely leaves a void and I'm definitely on my way back so yeah well I think people don't realize what memes is that like you have to be a sharp joke writer to be able to do memes. Like you can't just, if you suck at comedy, you're going to suck at memes. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of the major meme guys, they're just that, you know, and they don't have this uh, stand-up background. And there are like, there's this portion of the stand-up community that'll look down on it. But, you know, yeah, memes are awesome, dude. Uh, it sounds weird, but they've probably like changed my life. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the most funny and creative people i've met in the last couple of years have been like from memes yeah you look like, at someone like uh robin tran though she actually you know she went the other way with it and she's a successful killer fucking stand up you know and a uh, roast battle uh opens for jesselnick and margaret cho and has her own hula special and now she's getting into the meme thing but she's 
you know, telling me it's like making her the happiest she's ever been in quarantine and all this stuff. It's awesome. She's not above it. You know, I just yeah. look at someone like that as a good example of having the right attitude about it. Cause it's all comedy, dude. It's all touching people's lives with humor, you know? Yeah. And like, I look at someone like that, Kimberly Bertrand, who's just, she's starting to do more. Like she's looking to get in the stand-up and improv. Yeah. And I'm like, fucking- I've been encouraging her too, man. That's my sister. <laughs> As soon as she gets into it, it's over for all of us. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, she's dude. She's going. To, she's gonna probably end up, you know, in LA or whatever, and they're gonna fucking love her. I've been encouraging her. I told her I'd go out there and do it with her because I want to get back into it. But uh, and she wants to get into improv and stuff. But Kim is legit, like one of the most brilliant people I've ever crossed paths with in my life, and she's the reason why I pretty much, you know, I switched to OC. Uh, you know, it's like out of respect, but also like spite, like, fuck you. You think you're better than me. Also, you know, I'm constantly trying to prove myself to Kim Bertrand. That's what keeps me great. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love, uh, I love Kim. Yes. That's the thing too. It's like, you know, like weird on Facebook, but I feel like without Facebook, I wouldn't be as connected to like other comedians from all over the world. So like, that's yeah. why I love being, yeah, uh, being on Facebook and being part of like the shit posting community is because you just get to like know all kinds of like brilliant oh, yeah. people you wouldn't otherwise it's, get to meet. You know, it's a necessary evil. You know that will fucking consume your life if you let it. But at the same time, uh, you know the people and the connections I've made through Facebook. You know they're invaluable to me and they're getting me in the position I'm in right now. Or you know everything that ahead of this in the future is because of it. You know with the memes and everything else. Like, I love these fucking strangers I never met, you know? It's a big part of my heart. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to tell you, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I knew you were a deal. When my mom sent me one of your memes and she was like, have you seen this meme? And I'm like, my friend Mike made that. <laughs> hey, tell your mom, stop stealing my memes. I'm <laughs> That's great, dude. I bet your mom's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she doesn't post me she just like sends them to me <laughs> or she listened to your podcast or she's like ah, i'm not a big fan dear <laughs> <laughs> no she'll say stuff like your guest is really good like she'll like enjoy like the other uh, parts <laughs> all the stuff that's not you <laughs> yeah yeah like I, i've seen her like she's come to see me do like stand up a couple times and she'll like tell me like the comic before you killed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you could learn a lot from him, boy. <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know, I. it's like with you, I, it's a little repetitive. We get it. You have autism. <laughs> My mom has this uh, perpetual hope that the stand-up thing is just me parlaying it into, um, she wants me to be a preacher and find Jesus. She wants me to pull like a reverse Kennison, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, well, like, uh, are you going to, like, move back to California and try to, like, get back and just stand up when this is all over? Yeah, that's kind of my plan. That's uh, what everything's gearing toward. I've been making uh, making plans uh, with some people that are already out there and with some people that are going to be there after this quarantine stuff uh, ends, you know, hopefully hook up with some mean people, hook up with some podcast people. My My plan is to get back into stand-up to showcase the joke writing i would like to um i think a good place for me to start for my style would be like some type of monologue late night writing because i do the topical one-liner shit but eventually i would want to do you know 
screenplays and stuff like that. And I'm uh, just I'm in the process of networking and making connections and doing what I can here online. And uh, yeah, man, like I said, I started back in late 2008. And a lot of the guys I started with, they're, you know, they're uh, professional writers and professional performers. And, you know, it's uh, I've, I've allowed life and, you know, crazy women and all this stuff to get in the way. And I just never really did the footwork. And now that I'm starting to, things are happening. It's a good feeling, dude. Yeah, and now you have the memes help because now you have like clout with your name. So if you start, oh, uh, that's like the main thing I'm known for. Jesus, <laughs> it's yeah. cool, you know. Yeah, and now people will be like inclined to see you because they'll know your content is good based on what you provided them on the internet. It's a very smart. Uh, I don't know if you meant it as a strategy, but it's a good strategy because, like, I feel like online content nowadays, that's, like, important to set that up so people know you're good online so they'll come see you do stand-up. There was never any intention behind it, like, uh, and try to run it down for you succinctly. Like, um, so, yeah, I was into stand-up for years, uh, you know, just mainly, like, my stand-up style is basically Facebook Live. I do rapid-fire one-liners. But, like, uh, so I was, like, this joke snob, and I fucking hated memes until, like, three or four years ago. And <laughs> then, uh, yeah, basically, I don't know. I I met a friend, uh, David Williams, on Facebook. I don't know if you know him, but that was kind of a catalyst for me. I started meeting a lot of people from, like, these uh, Tim and Eric groups and stuff, and it's just, like, these uh, leftist absurd type people. And that basically... Uh, got me into the memes a little bit um, eventually I started making my own and then uh, Bertrand was a big turning point because like I said she was strictly doing OC and you know I decided to adapt the same uh, you know the s- same plan or whatever and you know I-, I still share from other people but I like to you know I like yeah. to share from the original poster that way there's no question if someone sees my shit that I made it or anything and that helps you know with branding and all this stuff but and then that made me better at it. And, you know, you just kind of gradually get better. It helps with, like, uh, the joke writing and stuff, even though I don't really write any of this shit or plan any of it out. You know, I just fart out a fucking idea for a meme and make it real quick and post it 100 times a day or whatever I do, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, memes are valuable, dude. Yeah, for me. Oh, yeah, it, it, it cut out for a bit, but the audio was saved, so we can just continue uh, talking. Right on. You know all that technical editing, editing stuff, huh? Look at you. Yeah. You would make any mother proud. Yeah. Uh, well, what I was going to say is, like, people like you and uh, Ken definitely inspired me to make my own memes, too, you know? And, like, mine are very right. specific. Like, mine are, like, more, like, if you're a stand-up comedian, you understand uh, them. That's such a valuable, like, niche for you, though, dude. Uh, like, Kim thinks the world of you. Uh, Everett Byram, like, went out of his way to write me to tell me that, you know, your comedy memes just bring him life, you know? So, uh, you know, that shit's definitely making a difference, and it shows you're reaching people, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, a, good, it's a good way to mesh those two worlds with stand-up, you know? A lot of my memes, like, 99% of them have nothing to do with actual stand-up comedy. But uh, you you definitely have that market cornered and you're known for it, you know, so it's cool. Yeah, I, I definitely, like, enjoy, like, making memes because, like, especially now, it, it's weird because, like, when I was, like, at an open mic, like, two years ago, someone's like, 
memes. You're wasting your time on memes, and now these same comics now are hitting me up on how to make memes. Yes, they're fucking sitting at home twiddling their thumbs, you know, look at me on Zoom and my cat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh nah dude. Yeah, there's some like snobbiness going on there, but you know, it's there's meme writers and meme makers I know. That sounds weird, meme writers, but nah, dudes who make memes I know that are way funnier than, you know, all these people I did stand up with. It works both ways, obviously, but yeah, this inherent, you know, um, looking down on people for, you know, it's it's joke writing. You're just fucking slapping it on some image or whatever you stole off of Google. But, you know, it's all comedy, you know, so I don't I don't buy into that narrative for a second myself. Yeah, but it's... like I said, that used to be me. I was a meme snob. But... <laughs> that's definitely like, I think that's how most because at first I hated memes like in 2014. <laughs> Yeah, but now yeah, it's, it's just... like that's all I enjoy on the internet. So it's kind of a weird. I feel like that's something we all have in common. I'm fine as well. Like we used to hate memes, and then now we love uh, them. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's nice about yours is someone with a background in stand up. Is it just um, encapsulates a lot of the uh, you know the feelings and the frustrations we get out there grinding and shit. You know, and people can relate to that. Like the stand up people who make up a lot of our friends list a lot of the time. You know, so it's a uh, it's definitely smart that you do that, you know? Yeah. When I tell people about you, that's what I say. He does comedy memes and he does wrestling memes and he does other stuff. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, well, one thing I'm enjoying is like getting into podcasting is like it's, I'm, I feel like I didn't leave stand up because I'm having all my comic friends on and we're still able to talk because if I wasn't talking right now, I feel like I'd be alone losing my mind. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love my meme friends. And then there are a handful of like people I know that I came up doing stand up with that enjoy my memes and stuff. And they don't, you know, have an attitude about it or anything. But yeah, dude. Uh, I don't know. It's just something I started taking seriously a couple of years ago as far as OC memes. And, you know, it's definitely made me funnier. I think, you know, I, I get better uh, over time with it. It's good joke writing practice, too. You know, it's a uh, it's just growing your comedy brain, you know. There's nothing wrong with it at all. So, yeah. Well, um, one thing about you I noticed is like, yeah, you you started in 2008. It's funny you said that because like in 2008, I was like in my sophomore year of high school. Yeah, I'm an old bastard. <laughs> I've wasted a lot of time making the wrong decisions in life. Yeah, and and fucking. Uh, I was with a Christian for like 12 years. This chick, and then I got out of that relationship finally like way longer way after i should have and then you know i promptly fucking moved to wisconsin for a shit poster named ashley trashley but no regrets on that stuff you know i was a stepdad in wisconsin for a summer it didn't work out i went back to california for a minute and then i came here and i've been here almost two years in fucking paradise or whatever so i'm just hanging out on a farm with fucking dogs and goats and making memes and eating psychedelics and shit and you know, it's not too bad of a life. Uh, who would you say is your, like, favorite stand-up comedian of all time? I always wondered that about you. Like, who's your favorite, like, stand-up? Uh, it's pretty cliche, but I would say Bill Hicks is my favorite and George Carlin was the best. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against Carlin. Like, even, if, like, yeah. a young guy like me, like, I, I've oh, yeah. seen most of the Carlin specials and I, I love them, but like, 
I've never I would... heard someone say George Carlin sucks. It's just like something uh, you can't really say in comedy. I've heard it, but they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I say subjectively it's Bill Hicks because he's a favorite, but objectively it's Carlin because he was the GOAT, you know? Uh, he just put in the most work. Yeah, his writing brain. He was a genius. I got to see him live when I was a teenager, so yeah. very stoked about that. That's one of the perks of being older than Kurt Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I, I say Eddie Murphy is probably my favorite comedian of it's all time. interesting that you say that, too, because uh, that's kind of the catalyst for me as far as getting into stand-up goes. When I was, uh, like, my dad died when I was 15 of lung cancer or whatever, and uh, a couple of years before that, like, when I was a kid, he uh, walked in on me, and I was listening. I grew up in the projects. I'm sorry, I go on all these fucking tangents, but... So I grew up in the projects or whatever. Um, I was like a little eight-year-old kid listening to rap music. My dad walked in on me listening to an Ice-T song. And uh, he walked in on a part where he says something like, freedom of speech, that's some motherfucking bullshit. <laughs> and then uh, my dad like didn't like the profanity, even though, uh, you know, I- I've been cursing since I could talk, but he destroyed the tape or whatever. And then a couple of years later, he buys me um, Delirious on cassette by Eddie Murphy. And that just fucking blew my mind. But yeah. <laughs> My dad got me into, you know, prior, he saw Red Fox back in the day because he was born in fucking 1936. But, um, yeah, man, definitely Eddie Murphy uh, back in the day. Like, yeah, no one was fucking with him. Yeah, well, for me, I'll be honest, it was more the movies of Eddie Murphy before the stand-up. Like, yeah. like stuff like uh, Coming to America or like uh, 48 Hours I saw as a kid because they would like, play those on comedy central and then my dad eventually like showed me the stand-up yeah but to like whatever a 12 year old kid you know with no prior knowledge of or delving too deep into stand-up and then you see delirious i mean you know if i rewatched it today it's kind of eh, it's all right you know you can't get away with a lot of that shit now but for a 12 year old kid i was like whoa this is fucking awesome yeah i feel like when you're 12 like that kind of just like really like resonates with you for whatever reason but like yeah, yeah now like stand-up has changed and i'm not one of these people who complains oh stand-up has changed we can't do what we used to anymore like it's because people evolve and you have to evolve with them you know what i mean so like yeah. i i think like you know that kind of comedy eddie murphy would probably wouldn't want to do that kind of comedy today i think he would be evolved and want to like expand his yeah. craft you know what i mean it's hard to, you know, I mean, his uh, stand-up was kind of brief, so it's hard to put him up there too high with any of the greats or anything. But, yeah, he was definitely a, an amazing performer and very funny, like, in that time frame. And even now, that Dolomite movie was awesome, you know? I love what he's doing now. Yeah, like, um, uh, you know, I don't know, like, because I feel like, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're like, a one-liner so i think that's good because i feel like comedy now is a lot of like storytelling and there's not as much uh, it's not as much uh, like real joke guys now which is you know they're, for they're... me i uh you know i started in hollywood and everyone's vying for attention and everything and you know how open mics can be and hey what do, what do i want to talk about how are you guys doing oh look at anyone on tinder and no i just want to go up there and spit out fucking 60 punchlines in 10 minutes, you know? Like, uh, it became this rapid-fire thing where I'm just, you know, hooked on the laughs and shit. But Hicks was actually uh, kind of the reason I got into stand-up. Uh, I didn't discover him until I was, like, in my early 20s. 
And then uh, I was in Alaska for a few months and I got to uh, go see his childhood writing partner and childhood best friend, Dwight Slade, perform. And I got to talk to him. And then uh, I went back to California and maybe like a year later, uh, I was on like MySpace at the time. I was like doing these like insult uh, forums or whatever, you know, like chat boards where people would just roast each other. And I was uh, starting to tinker with the statuses and all that shit. And that kind of got me into the joke writing and to the point where I decided to go to the uh, comedy store out in Hollywood and try it, like I said, back in like late 2008. And then uh, I did comedy in uh, LA for a little while and then I went back to my area which is about 60 miles south of LA and I got kind of good out of it good at it you know and like a uh, fucking rough bar shows and stuff but yeah um I definitely miss like you know the adrenaline boost that comes with like killing on stage and you know performing it's a it's an amazing feeling that you know the desire for it never goes away so there has been this fucking void for two years and I'm definitely re- ready to come back and get back into it I kind of probably should do a couple of Zoom shows first before I, you know, start doing it live again. But I'll say Zoom shows are very awkward, but like uh, I'll describe oh, yeah. what a Zoom show feels like. It just kind of more or less feels like you're at an all comic crowd and an open mic anyway. So like for me, the only weird thing is like trying to have a stand up delivery in your regular like life. Yeah. That, that's the only part that makes me feel like a psychopath when I do them. <laughs> yeah, it seems a little fucking awkward. Um, for me, it would just be, you know, getting back in the groove of reciting jokes and stuff. And, you know, knowing that there are people watching, there is an audience. They're just not right in front of you. But I'm doing my first Zoom thing tomorrow, but it's not for stand up. It's uh, I'm in something called the Psychedelic Meme Council on Instagram. So they talking to a bunch of druggies trying to get followers and stuff, you know. Yeah, like, I, I think it's definitely, like, doing a Zoom show for you is a good idea because it gets you, it, it, it's it's low risk, right? Because, like, everybody kind of knows what's going on right now. So people will be a lot more, like, um, attentive to comedy. Like, they'll want comedy more. And I just feel like you'll, like, be able to, like, you know, it, it'll be an easy way back into stand-up, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I just need to dust some of the rust off and stuff. And like my style anyway, I'm just telling jokes. So I'm not trying to tell a story or anything, you know? Yeah. I, I think oh, eventually ahead. I would want my, uh, eventually with the stand-up too. See, as far as my aspirations go, I never really got into it for fame or anything. Um, I would just like to be in a writer's room. I'd like to, you know, laugh with my friends and make people laugh for a living, uh, I've I've always been a little more attracted to the writing side of it. It's not me being an attention whore or anything where I, you know, have any of these uh, celebrity delusions or anything, but it's, um, yeah. So as far as the one-liners and shit go, I would eventually want to evolve into a little more long-winded style where I could do bits. And I do tinker with that stuff when I am performing, but yeah, 95% of it's just me fucking telling 30 second jokes and getting as many laughs as I can. But you know, it works out, you know, I, I do pretty well when I do perform. And like I said, I got good at it before I quit, but yeah, yeah I definitely miss it. Yeah. For me, like, uh, I think like I, I was planning like a trip to LA for this summer to like try to like do open mics and shows out there. So like this all kind of slowed me down, but like now at least like I get a chance to like, uh, sort of refocus on my jokes and like figure it out. But like, 
Yeah, it's been rough. Uh, like, we I'm, need to get you out there, man. I told you we're all uh, all of us big meme people were trying to do a show. So we definitely want you involved, man. Yeah, I, I think, like, you know, I definitely want to do, like, more things. For me, it's just about doing more cool things. Like, I don't really think I'm, like, want to be the biggest comedian in the world or anything. I just want to be able to make, if I could make a living at stand-up, that would be great. Yeah, that, that's what it boils down to is just uh, doing what you love and not having to worry about the money part, you know. Uh, I, I've, you know, I've been avoiding footwork, like I said, fucking letting life and relationships get in the way. But, you know, I got to go do construction or forklift jobs, all these like meathead jobs, like no offense to anyone. But you know what I mean? Uh, it's, I, I was in a carpentry apprenticeship out of high school and stuff, and I've been working on job sites since I was like eight years old with my dad. So, and even now I do construction like 40 hours a week on this farm I live on here. I'm like tiling a staircase right now while I'm fucking making memes three hours a day, you know, but uh, it's, I don't want to have to do any of that stuff. You know, I just want to use my brain and, you know, not have any financial worries, but also not, uh, you know, do anything I don't want to do artistically just for money. You know what I mean? Um, I have been approached to write for a couple of things and it's like, do you even like look at my page or know what I'm about? Cause you're just you're asking me to write about what, you know, fucking. <laughs> but I'm not just trying to take anything. I'm not just trying to end up in any particular situation. Like, uh, creative integrity is important to me too, you know? Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to talk to you about that's interesting is like your beef with Daniel Stern's brother. Ah, that guy. <laughs> Thank you for calling him Daniel Stern's brother. I will not call him David Stern. Uh, we were good friends for years, man. Uh, he was a good fan uh, for the listener. Daniel Stern is the uh, tall villain on Home Alone who isn't Joe Pesci. And he was also the voice of old Kevin Arnold, the narrator on Wonder Years. So <laughs> I think uh, David Stern might have utilized a little nepotism, but he was a Wonder Years writer. He was a classic uh, Simpsons writer. He wrote uh, the Camp Krusty episode. He wrote the episode where fucking uh, Homer skips church. He wrote the episode. And he's, from where, my, he's from my hometown. Oh, is he? Like, guy's a fucking but, dick if you're listening daniel stern brother <laughs> fuck you he's from like bethesda maryland or nah. whatever so he was like from my close to my neck of the woods that's he showed up in my inbox first just to tell me what a fan of uh mine he was and i appreciated it and i was picking his brain he was giving me advice on joke packets and monologue writing he was giving me all this good encouragement i was had an open invitation to his house in venice uh it took this abrupt turn when I started shitting on Joe Biden and he gave me this friendship ultimatum. And I told him, dude, you're a comedy writer. Are you really going to do this? I laughed in his face. And then it just took this ugly turn. He, he eventually he called Robin Tran a cunt, like everything, dude. It was uh, crazy. Yeah, it was totally crazy. He was acting like, you know, me not harboring any delusions about Joe Biden or calling Biden out on his shit was going to, you know lead to Trump getting reelected because I'm this all powerful meme comedian or whatever. But, you know, I don't bite my tongue with stuff like that. Like, yeah, I, I hate Trump and I call for his death all the time, but I'm also going to call fucking Joe Biden out when he's telling people they're not black or whatever the fuck he's doing, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah. And if we're going to look, we have to look at the allegations against Biden and take them seriously. Oh, yeah. As seriously as we would take if it's a conservative 
Oh yeah, I can't, you know, oh, okay. hashtag Biden women for Biden. Like, get the fuck out of here with that stuff. I know how important it is, you know, for uh, Trump not to get reelected, but then you know, it gets harder and harder to call yourself a Democrat. They're masochists. They want to fucking lose. You know, it's it's very uh, discouraging and frustrating to, uh, you know, it's oh my god, <laughs> like yeah, and I but, feel yeah. like that's the biggest problem is the left can't really decide who they want and. It, it it's gonna be bad because say what you want about the right, but they decided on Trump and they stick with that oh, fucking yeah. decision. Well, yeah, I I detest the whole GOP, but they know how to get shit done and you know remove their emotions from it. You know, uh, and Trump just utilizing this ugly underbelly of America to become his base to get into power. You know, it's effective. You know, even though it's shitty, but. Yeah, that's why it's frustrating. I've never been super into politics. Uh, you know, I, I'm more of like a leftist, humanist, anarchist type myself, but I don't like any politician. I love Bernie, but, you know, I knew from the jump like he wasn't going to have a shot. So yeah, it's I hard for like, me not to be real about the shit, you know? Yeah, I feel like when you make political memes, like that's, you're very good at it in a way where, it's still funny no matter what side you're on, you know? Yeah, those Bernie memes were hitting. I remember uh, I was in the hot tub on acid, and I had just made this joke. I basically said that um, if we soak Bernie in rice, he could run again in 2024. And then, like, right after I make it, I drop my fucking shitty Android in the hot tub, and I have to come up there soaking it in rice. And I'm like, oh, shit, God's a Bernie bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, but- there is this, uh, you know, this whole duality thing where it's like, I want to be honest at all times about everything going on in the world and my disdain for Biden. And, you know, if he is going to, you know, we have to acknowledge these accusations about him acting inappropriately towards women and the whole systemic racism thing that he had a hand in. Like, you know, it's uh, these are all very real issues. And, you know, for me to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel it's, like uh, my my jokes, they're a little cynical and bitter sometimes, but it's like, you know, I'm not it's hard for me to write jokes about how great Joe Biden is. But I don't want to feel like part of the problem. You know what I mean? I don't want to influence people not to vote or, you know, it's uh, obviously something thing. needs to be done because, yeah, fucking Trump needs to get out of there. But. Yeah, it's definitely like, tricky because like. Like you said, I don't want Trump to win, but I'm not thrilled with the other choice. But I still am probably going to have to make that choice. Because... And a lot of us are, yeah. It's, you know, it is what it is. And a lot of my friends would never vote for Biden. And I get that, um, you know. Like I said, I, I don't want to just bring no solutions to the table and just, you know, shit on the guy all the time. But like I said, when he fucking goes around sniffing kids and fucking you know being <laughs> racist and shit what am i gonna do you know i know he made those comments in jest and you know charlemagne's kind of a prick anyway but you know they're still you can't be a presidential candidate and act like you're the fucking king of all blacks or whatever the fuck like <laughs> Howard Stern, you know oh yeah Jesus. i was just about to make that reference <laughs> my god dude yeah well for me it's like i that was ridiculous, but I did take the time to, like, make a joke out of that, where I was like, Joe oh, Biden yeah. says you're not a black comic if you don't fuck the stool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that one. I love all your uh, stool fucking jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I 
I love doing those because the people that don't do comedy were like, my mom was like, what is this stool fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs> the only one I remember of mine offhand was uh, Christian comedians have to marry the stool before they fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good joke. <laughs> but yeah, as far as the Biden shit goes, though, yeah, I, I want to walk that line. I want to call him out on his shit and I'm going to, you know, make posts and talk shit about him. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't know. I th- I think it's pretty pathetic that these are the two candidates we have to choose from, but I'm not going to entertain any delusions that, you know, um, Joe Biden is worse than Donald Trump. Cause I don't really think there too many people are worse than Trump. You know, I truly believe Trump Trump's a fucking pedophile and you know, it's a, uh, yeah. And, and that's why I had to, uh, it's part of the reason why yeah, I didn't feel comfortable doing the parody stuff with uh, Donald Trump anymore, just cause I didn't want to, you know, be the zany child rapist parody character, but there are other issues at hand with that as well, but yeah, the system just kind of makes me sick, man. I don't, <laughs> I try to participate in it as little as possible and detach myself, even though it's hard. I want to make a difference in the world. I try to with my humor and shit, but as far as politics, you know, it's, it's hard for me to believe in shit and care, you know, I'm getting more nihilistic as I fucking get older. Uh, you know, yeah, it's hard to not get like, disillusioned by it all and just like kind of not want to deal with it at all you know yeah yeah it's definitely a a line you have to walk you know it's uh i'll care as much as i have to but it's hard and if i were to immerse myself in that world i would just perpetually just feel fucking uh disheartened all the time and i don't want to be in that mode you know yeah you know what's funny about this podcast is it's called Trains of Thought, and I feel like on the first episode, that was the only time I mentioned anything related to trains. Oh, man. I have 20 minutes of train jokes. I thought we'd never get to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, I just use that because it's the stereotype for autism. Yeah, but it's like, it's funny. I mean, that you have a sense of humor, you know? Yeah, it's funny how many people, like, if I don't, say i'm autistic sometimes people uh can't tell or they don't know so it's just like, i can uh, make train jokes i know kurt ryan he's my friend <laughs> yeah that's that's just something that's funny it's really only the first episode that was about trains i'm still learning how to do this mike <laughs> but i noticed on the first four episodes i did like i didn't even intro the guest or say what the podcast was oh, yeah. I, I just arrogantly went into the podcast like you people just... already know who i am <laughs> I had this like thought to myself as I was like driving out to the ocean here to park and record with you. Uh, and it was, you know, obviously it's like the joke seems like ableist, but that's not the uh, the intention behind it. But it was like, you know, I told you I, we could record in two or three hours and you hit me up in an hour. And, and that's no big deal. But I was like thinking to myself, man, this kid's autistic. Aren't they supposed to be good with numbers? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, buddy. <laughs> that's funny. See, like, I, I like when people can craft good autism jokes about me. I just hate when they're hack. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like if I can only imagine. Oh, go ahead. I just hate, like, when the punchline is just saying retard, but it's not. Like, exactly. There's, there's no depth to it. Like, I'm not against the word retard in a joke if you're able to paint it in a way where that's not just what you're saying no. by itself. It, I think, you know. Uh, I don't know the people who would use that word in that context. That's pretty much like that's the retarded person. You know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. It's got to be hard for you to 
that's part of your shtick when you go and perform as the autism thing. So I'm sure you just get all these drunk fucking idiots like, hey, this retard's funny. Like, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I've used that word in uh, my act, but it's not like just calling someone a retard or that. Yeah. You can call it I keep it out of my retard, content. That's fine. But like for me, I try to make sure when I'm using the word, it's not, it's not like to the grade. No. Yeah, yeah, and it's not you anything know? you want to flippantly use either, but, and I, I make it a point to keep it out of my content, you know, it's, I need to put that shit out there, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it is something that's just kind of been misused and, uh, you know, turned into this, uh, I don't know, it, it's always been derogatory, but, you know, it's just when it's, there's this mean-spirited, you know, intention behind it, I don't know, it's a, a lot of, like, cringe fucking stand-up dudes who think uh you know that's how to be funny or whatever and all they have is like dick jokes and yeah women bleed out of your pussy out of their pussy you hear about this and it's just all this you know uh i, I was in a like a i was in riverside and you know it's just you go to these bar shows and that's just what you hear and stuff it's just simplistic it's just uh i don't know i've been more like on the clever subversive side with my comedy tastes for a while now and I, I like to think I've evolved and grown, you know, I, you know, when I first started, that's kind of what it was about trying to out cringe each other. And I just look back at the type of jokes I used to tell. And I've definitely like evolved and matured and my Facebook friends are a big part of that. I mean, I've always had a good heart and stuff and there was never any maliciousness behind it, but it's uh, yeah, man, if you could elevate above that stuff and still be fucking hilarious and not need that crutch to just rely on certain trigger words like retard and aids and blah 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 you know it's uh you got to rise above that shit to be good you know um those fucking cringe shock value comics are a dime a dozen and there's nothing special about them and they're all you know jerking off to adam corolla podcasts or whatever that's not me at all you know yeah for me it's like i don't want to just make it look like i'm trying to be edgy you know what i mean that's what i try to think of in my comedy where it's like I want to just make sure the joke is funny above all else. And I just, I can tell when someone thinks they're being edgy and that's like, uh, that's the thing about being edgy. You, uh, you're not supposed to make a cognizant effort all the time. You're just supposed to do your thing. And it, 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 it either pushes boundaries or it doesn't. But if you're going out of your way, like, Oh, wait till they hear me say this. Those are the, you know, jackasses. Nobody wants to listen to. Yeah, and I feel like most edgy comics would tell you, I'm not even trying to be edgy. I'm just being who I am. And it, it, it just like, it's not a thought that's on their mind. Like, I feel like some I mean, comics, like, that's one thing I hate is like, uh, and I love Dave Attell, but he has a lot of clones, you know, guys who try to be. Like, oh, like, yeah. And it, it well, just, you have like, these hilarious guys that did influence, like, you know, all these uh, cringe fucking meathead dummies who think they, you know, Oh, you know, I could, I could tell these kind of jokes because I heard, you know, Patrice O'Neill on the Opie Opie and Anthony show, and it's like, dude, you're not fucking Patrice, all right? You're not David Tell, you know. That was a problem uh, for me when I was like first, like my first year, where it's like I tried to be like that, but then I realized like that's not actually who I am. I enjoy that kind of comedy. But it's not really my lane. It's like not who I am as a Well, that's person. the key, though. Yeah, you can't set out trying to be like anyone but yourself, you know. You got to find your own voice and connect to people with it. And that's kind of what I see you doing, you know. So, yeah, just keep going in that direction. Yeah, well, 
you know, I can only imagine how comedy was in uh, 2008. Oh, man. And yeah, like I said, I'm complicit. I, I've said some things I regret. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, I wasn't like too horrible like a lot of the guys I came up with, but I've definitely evolved. And, you know, there's jokes I told in 2008, 2009 that I would just completely want eradicated from whatever, you know. I don't have yeah. a notebook or anything anymore, but you get it. <laughs> yeah, well, you were doing, you were in LA. So, like, I can, the comedy store must be like a real crazy place. Oh, uh, yeah. It was awesome, though. I met a lot of awesome people. I've only uh, performed there a handful of times. Some of my last, most recent sets were doing roast battle there. Uh, the comedy store is magical. I love LA, and I kind of also don't because there is this aura of, everyone vying for attention and there's this desperation vibe you know um and a lot of it's based on just uh you know popularity looks all the stuff that's not content um but yeah it's kind of a necessary evil but at the same time i have a blast out there and there's a lot of stuff to do and my family's close by so i wouldn't be considering leaving paradise you know if uh, i wasn't you know thoroughly enticed by that stuff but yeah it's a double-edged sword you know LA can be profoundly sad at the same time. Yeah, it's definitely like um, I've never been there, but uh, yeah, I always like think of like that room, and I can only like imagine what it's like. You know, that's kind of a just, pinnacle um, there, though. I mostly just do like bar shows and shit. You know, those are rowdy too, but <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Um, like I said, when I first got into it, I just wanted to. Uh, go to the best club and it was just a potluck open mic but you know i ended up uh meeting like the funniest amateur comedian in all of hollywood and uh angelo bowers who's a beautiful one-liner guy i believe i've sent you some of his stuff before oh, but he's great. well he, he was uh killed by a drunk driver a few years ago but oh, um his friend is from my hometown uh josh yeah josh adam myers he's I from germantown maryland where I Josh live. is a fucking rock star, dude. I don't know if you've seen any of the goddamn Comedy Jam or any of the stuff Josh does, but he's one of the voices on F is for Family on Netflix. Yeah. I love that, dude. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's Howl from, and Hank. He's from where I live right now, so like, I kind of like look at some of my him and I'm like, fuck, that's cool, you know? Yeah, I was lucky I got to uh, come up with those guys or just kind of be in that, in that scene at that time because it was magical, and Angelo was the first person that came up and talked to me. When I was, uh, you know, when I was signing up to go up for the first time or whatever. And uh, yeah, man, like I, I wrote a piece about Angelo. It was kind of like a, a eulogy type thing I'll send to you. But yeah, he just fucking blew me away the first time I saw him on stage. Very special kid. Um, there's, you know, comedians in L.A. like from back at that time will just have all these beautiful Angelo stories. Uh, tell you all these fucking jokes that will stick with them forever. He would just give you big bear hugs, you know. Everyone wanted Angelo to see their set. Like, and this isn't just stuff I offer up because he died or whatever. The kid was a fucking genius. He was about to start working with Sarah Silverman when all this shit happened. Like, dude, his fucking one-liners were insane. I love that kid. Yeah, well, that's kind of like I from what I hear from every like stories you tell me and like other people who knew him, it's like that's like something I kind of want to aspire. I want to be funny and also a good person. You know what I mean? Uh, I you and Angelo would have loved each other. I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, like I just feel like that should be like the goal where it's like yeah to be the jaded, mean comedian that no one likes. Like that's that's not the lane you want to go down. 
you kind of learn some of the stuff the hard way as you go along, but always, you know, punch up and don't punch down, you know, that's uh, pretty important. I don't want to be a shitty human with my content or whatever. I know a lot of it, you know, quote unquote edgy, whatever the fuck you want to call it, but you know, there's good intention behind it and there's truth in it, you know? And uh, like I said, I try to exert a certain humanist vibe to it, but yeah, I don't just want to, you know, pick on easy targets or, you know, make fun of shit that people don't have control of, you know, not to say I'm never guilty of it, but yeah, I definitely like to elevate, you know. Yeah. For me, it's like, because I've seen a lot of death recently over like two years, it's just like, for me, it just kind of makes me want to be like uh, better because like, I just see how short it all is, you know, that stuff, uh, you know, it's hard, but yeah, humor is a fucking coping mechanism, and that's a big part of the reason why I'm so funny. I would roast my dad, like I said. Uh, I was working with him from eight years old. He would uh, he cut like roof trusses or whatever, and um, he would sell like the f- scrap firewood. And I was like eight years old, loading and unloading trucks of firewood, and we'd be in the truck like roasting each other. And it, we kept that relationship up even as he was like, you know, going through chemotherapy and dying of cancer. And, He's letting me crack jokes about, you know, we need the insurance money and all this shit. And it's just some type of levity thing. You know, it's a coping mechanism. My mom laughs at funerals. Both of my parents are hilarious. You know, I'm funnier, but still. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely like for me, like I just started like trying to write jokes that open up more about what I've been through the past two years. But because like when I was dealing with it, it just wasn't funny to me. And I didn't want to try to force an uncomfortable topic that wasn't funny for me on people when I'm doing stand-up, you know what I mean? I remember maybe a week or so after you lost your sister to brain cancer, you were back on stage just because comedy meant that much to you and you got so much out of it and it made you feel good. And I was like, whoa, this kid has fucking strength and heart and like he's in this comedy shit for the right reasons. Like I was blown away. That was very impressive shit, dude. Yeah, I just like, I always... I'll be honest, this past year, I feel like some people can tell that I've been through stuff and it just, I feel like I wasn't coming across as like funny as I was before or I I don't know. I just felt different. I think everyone could tell I was feeling different and it just, it takes a while to get out of that mindset and, you know, you like don't even realize it but yeah like you you do stuff like that and it's motivational for other other people uh these last two years i've been away from home my sister's health has been deteriorating you know she got fucking uh lupus and she had to go on a bunch of medication and you know pain meds and shit and then uh you know coronavirus most recently and you know it feels like the universe was preparing me like i don't know um even now like her her health is up in the air and I'm just always worried about it and stuff. But, you know, it's uh, it's definitely like motivating to see you like handle it and have that type of strength, you know, where you can even fucking go on Facebook or go up on stage and talk about anything, you know, after you go through this kind of shit you went through, losing your dad and your sister, like within a year or so of each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I feel like if stuff like that doesn't affect you and you're the same person you were before it you're a sociopath yeah that would be wrong like for me it's like i should it should affect uh who i am like the the point is like i think it just it changed me as a person so like now i just have to figure out how we're just uh (laughs) 
we're just machines for turning pain into laughs, you know, and into art. So <laughs> whatever. Yeah, just you know, definitely. It's like I just have to be comfortable being this person now who experienced that stuff, you know. I don't think I can go back to the person I was before that, and that's okay, you know. There's a handful of, you know, rich kids that like grew up with healthy, perfect, uh, functional lives, you know, storytell lives. They never had to want for anything. And, you know, they're funny now and they're, you know, but that's, that's a very small portion of it. Most of us are like, you know, these damaged dysfunctional people that gone through some real shit and had to, you know, come out of the other side of it laughing. So it makes you stronger, you know, for sure. Yeah. It's just, I definitely want to just like keep trying to like, uh, make progress with that and you know just try to be a good comic you know that's really it you know like it, it would suck to lose like because I feel like sometimes comedians lose their confidence and once that happens that's when your act starts falling apart you know yeah you just can't live inside your own head too much and you can't get too hung up on the whole approval thing of strangers or you know what I mean it's um I don't know. I, even like these last two years, I haven't been doing stand up. I have been involving into the funniest I've ever been in my life, you know? So it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Comedy isn't just this one thing, you know what I mean? It's not just going on stage and forcing people to look at you, talk about your dick or whatever, you know? It's, uh, it's this, you know, very broad, beautiful thing that has the power to, you know, touch a lot of people. And yeah, I don't necessarily need a stage and a mic to do that, but you know, maybe a Fonto app and some uh, psychedelics or whatever, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny is I've never, uh, I feel like you, you make me want to try that stuff because you seem like, uh, I don't know, like you just seem like the most pleasant person. I think so I you... like overtly offer that. like, hey, buddy, <laughs> want me to send you some LSD in the mail? <laughs> that yeah. sounds like something I do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd be afraid to try it, but I want like yeah. if I would be as like positive as you are on it, I, I don't think it'd be a bad thing. I'm not a, I'm not a pusher man, and you know, a lot of what you see with me, part of it is like, yeah, I've taken a lot of LSD over the last two years. I didn't even get into it until I was 34. I just tried mushrooms for the first time this year. I've always just been a stoner. I don't like hard drugs or anything. My dad was a fucking heroin addict before I was born or whatever so it's in my system where I, you know I got to be careful with addiction and stuff but um yeah I don't know it it's definitely shown me a lot and taught me a lot you know I get kind of cavalier with the use and stuff I get lonely and bored and shit out here and that's never a good reason to take acid <laughs> but I do <laughs> you know I, I do it too frequently I'm cutting back I haven't noticed really any ill effects yet you know uh, one day I might be driving down the road and fucking Thelma and Louise off a cliff. I'm not sure yet, but I think, yeah. you know, smoking weed every day is worse for me at this point. And I'm cutting back on both. Uh, I'm on the longest weed break I've been on since fucking January, 2018, just by stopping weed for six days. You know, it's a, uh, yeah, man, drugs get to, I don't have time for drugs right now. And just coming off it for a week, I've, you know, haven't felt this motivated in a long time. So it's, uh, I have all this suppressed mental energy coming out and, just trying to utilize it in positive ways for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely like for me, like I, I've done, I think the most drug stories I have is like, I took an edible like once. <laughs> you fucking wild man. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then I just didn't really like it. Like I didn't. Really Dirty like junkie. It. Yeah, I just didn't like the way, like way it made, like I could feel my whole body. <laughs> so you don't smoke weed? I was never really a big weed guy. No. All you do is drink sometimes. Yeah, well, for me, I was just such an autistic, like, loser in high school who just never did any of that stuff. Like, I just kind of, like, I never really uh, went to parties or, like, you know, like, drank with the other teenagers. I just kind of was, like, go to school and go home. <laughs> that, that was me, and, you know, as far as I know, I'm not autistic. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get drunk until the night I graduated. I used to pinch a little weed from my parents you know they were both like hippie stoners or whatever they had like a metal weed can in their bedroom so I, I tried it once or twice but I didn't even smoke it right but I didn't even get stoned until I was already uh basically like becoming a carpenter after I graduated high school or whatever and I was almost 19 but that was like 18 years ago and I've never quit for longer than like a month or so yeah so, for me it's like I feel like now that I've experienced so much I'm more open <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like I didn't need oh, it yeah. in high school, but now I feel like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I realize, like, drugs have different effects on different people, and, you know, it's yeah, not for true. everyone. I think LSD is a beautiful drug. I probably prefer mushrooms myself, but it's not anything I push on people. And if people hit me up or whatever and want to get into it, like, uh, I would always encourage them to do their research. And I want to make sure that they're the type of person that's going to be able to handle it because it's not marijuana at all, you know. But yeah, yeah that's, can... that's responsible because some oh, people yeah. just yeah because you don't want to like because then if it ruins someone's life and you didn't say anything ruin <laughs> my life if i get caught sending it to you motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> i shouldn't make simpsons memes about sending my friends lsd i guess <laughs> better start giving a fuck you know it'd be funny if you sent the accounts that steal your memes lsd and ruin their life oh uh, yeah but not nah, I don't know. Psychedelics can be used in that way. And, you know, I already had these positive traits, but it's an intensifier. So, you know, I am like loving and kind and empathetic. And uh, it's good for like introspection. It's good for um, especially the mushrooms, you know, like working on yourself and stuff like that. It's a good motivator, you know. Um, I don't know if you read that long winded, like fucking love letter I wrote to psychedelics the first time I tried mushrooms back in January. But, <laughs> Yeah, man, it's, uh, I was in California with my comedian friends. We had this beautiful acid trip and lapped together for 11 hours and it was just cathartic and beautiful and we all connected. And then six days later, my last day in California, I tried mushrooms for the first time and yeah, shit was crazy. I was coming down at the airport, coming back to Hawaii and, uh, I took a tab of acid for the plane cause I like to be on acid when I fly. And <laughs> I'm like, you know, fucking writing this essay on my phone, like fucking all tripped out on psychedelics and stuff but i have a good time with it i could stand to be less cavalier about it for sure and i'm in the process of cutting back on all my drug intake but yeah I'm, I'm i wouldn't be the type of guy to benefit from uh drugs and then stop doing them and then you know shit on them or shit on other people for you know doing what i was doing and getting the benefit out of them because i i don't know certain things like marijuana like psilocybin like lsd that can be medicinal, that can be therapeutic, you know, uh, the, the effects like psilocybin especially can have on fucking depression or, you know, helping people stop smoking. Uh, I've had friends who go on a DNT trip and then realize for the first time in their life that they're worthy of living and all their fucking suicidal thoughts that they've had for 30 years, just gone like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've only done DMT once, but it was a trip, dude. I was uh real quick. Uh <laughs> as cliche as it is, like Tool probably is my favorite band. So I, I get this DMT and I'm listening to Lateralis by Tool and I take the hit and uh and basically like my consciousness is floating around inside of the song. I see all these like spiraling geometric patterns and shapes and I see like these uh, maroon and yellow outlined body figures and shit, like uh, basically like you would see in the album artwork. I took another hit and I was on the lanai downstairs, like flailing around like a fish out of water. I had like pointy witch fingers and shit. But <laughs> yeah, man, you definitely got to know what you're doing. And I'm not the type yeah. to push it on other people, you know, but yeah, I don't know. It, yeah. it is a good way to connect with people. And, you know, I, I give it to uh, people who I respect creatively, who are already into it. Uh, people that are going through a hard time that need that kind of healing, you know. Yeah. Um, it's good for breakthroughs and everything else. So it's me putting love back into the universe. Hopefully, I don't go to prison for it. I'm just joking about sending people acid. <laughs> if you have any fucking cops, if your mom's listening and she's a cop or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I want to talk to you about also is like your foot fetish memes. Ah. Uh, I don't really have a foot fetish. Uh, I would like to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. It cut out again. Um, yeah, so, like, I was saying I make those memes myself, but, like, it's just, like, to connect with perverts. Uh, see, I don't think it's even a pervert thing. I don't know. Man. <laughs> I think Joe Biden's smelling fucking... <laughs> you know, making out with his granddaughter on TV. That's like the perverted shit. Um, nah, yeah. man, there's no part of a woman I wouldn't put in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, to prevent further, like, uh, technical issues, I feel like we should just, like, close the podcast while we still have, like, while I still have everything, you know what I mean? So, like, do you have anything right you, you want to plug? Uh, memeing into the void on Instagram. Uh you guys could cash app or Venmo me if you want, Mike D. Fellows. Uh, I don't know, man. Just love and support on Facebook. I have some things on the burner right now, but nothing I'm really ready to get into or whatever, you know. So, yeah, man. You could uh, catch me on Zoom tomorrow talking about psychedelics on Instagram if you want. But <laughs> outside of that, man, I just want everyone to be kind and love each other and not steal my memes. <laughs> now yeah. I got to fucking watermark them. <laughs> Thanks for doing my podcast, Mike. Love you, buddy. All right. Bye.